Welcome to the Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. Break away for nonstop chill. The Hockey Show. On Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Ready? Let's rush the zone. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Mike Stein with Brian Hanley. I'm Pat Boyle coming to you from the first Midwest Bank Studios in downtown Chicago. How are you doing this morning, Brian? I'm wearing my Pat Boyle Hawk sweater, and I want to be first in line to get in the United Center for uh, the game. So, How about that? Just in time to uh, see the boys wrap this, this season up. Uh, <laughs> better late than never. Yeah, better late. That's true. That's true. We'd like to have seen it a few weeks ago when they were taking on Nashville and, you know, kind of the season was hanging uh, in uh, in the balance there, but uh, it, it will be great to finally see some fans at nineteen oh one West Madison tomorrow, Mother's Day night, and on Monday. By the way, I think tickets are still available. Go to blackhawks dot com for that slash tickets. Do you think that'll bring some uh, energy to this young Blackhawks lineup here as they finish things up against the Dallas Stars? I would think so, but I would hope that because they are young Hawks, they would bring their own en- energy. And I know Jeremy Colleton's talked about that. And we've seen it at times, and we've seen them in these last couple of weeks not bring the energy to start games, which is a little bit concerning for me. But we always have to remind ourselves how many are, are playing their first games, their first season, and how many teams in the league <laughs> are like the Hawks with such a youth movement where you're just injecting every, seems like every game someone's making their NHL debut. It, it really was the story of the season. And it, it, it's the, the youth movement. They, they said that it was going to be about player development. It's going to be about giving young players opportunities in high leverage situations. And they delivered on that. Nine players made their NHL debuts this year. Eight players scored their first NHL goal with the Blackhawks this year. Every night, there were seven to sometimes nine first-year players. And then they were sprinkled in with second- and third-year players. It was, by and large, first through third-year players, along with DeBrinket, Kane, and Duncan Keith, and maybe Connor Murphy and, 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 a, and a Dahan, but everybody—I mean, it was—it's a young team, and for the first half of the season, they surprised the NHL. They went what thirteen, seven, and five. They had a stranglehold on the four seed. Uh, they had a ten-point lead on Nashville, and then here, the last thirty games, they've only won ten. So, is it the rookie wall? Was it? Uh, a favorable schedule early on? Was it teams figuring them out? I'm sure a lot of that plays into it. But at the end of the day, is the rebuild, and you put this this, uh, Twitter poll question out, is it ahead of schedule, is it on schedule, or is it behind schedule? I would have to say it's it's ahead of schedule. I, I think what I saw this year and the young players that emerged on a consistent basis, like the Brandon Hagels of the world, uh, show me that they are key components to what could be a championship team down the road. Now, they still have a lot of work to do. They have to sure some things up defensively as well. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Mark Lazarus from The Athletic, Charlie Romeliotis 
from NBC Sports Chicago will join us. We'll break down the season. We'll look forward to what's going to happen here in the offseason. But how did you vote on that? Where do you think the rebuild is at, Brian? I think ahead of schedule, but with the caveat that, again, against teams with winning records and against the top teams in the division, you really didn't have much to show for yourself. And, you know, if that's going to be the, the litmus test or, or the bar that you have to judge yourself against, you're a ways away, right? But that said, you've got a couple of prospects in Europe that should be over here next year that you have high hopes for. Um, they still need more size. We've talked about that week in, week out here on the hockey show. Uh, Mike Hardman, I liked what I saw from him the other night. I mean, and Jeremy Carlton said they're crying for size and physicality, so they need to to get more of that, uh, Pat. But, you know, just looking at the uh, NHL.com list of two, the top 250 uh, fantasy players uh, based on past performance and overall upside for next season, you know, obviously you're going to get uh, Kane checking in a 13. Um, you had Kubalik. Uh, first of all, Debrink, it's 42 on the list of, of the 250. Kubelik, 131. Doc, 222. Um, Taves isn't on the list because he hadn't played this year. I assume that's why. Um, but, you know, you have Lincoln at 154. Our other Twitter poll question is, who do you expect or you know, who will be the number one goalie going into the next season? Because all of a sudden, uh, hold on to your hats, this week has been all about Delia. Yeah, and, and you know what? Uh, what a story it was for him to finally get this opportunity. He comes in relief on Monday night and halfway through that game and goes 19 for 19. He starts on Tuesday and then gets the win on Thursday. And I thought he was fantastic on Thursday night. So it's going to be interesting. You know, Kevin Lankinen started this season off. He was not only in the Calder Trophy discussion, uh, he was in the Vesna Trophy discussion halfway through this season. And then he went on that six-game road trip. That's where he struggled. That's where this team struggled. And, uh, you know, he found himself, I think, here the last few weeks of the season. I, it'll be interesting to see. I would imagine Colin Delia will get the start tomorrow night against Dallas. And I would assume... They will give the final start to Kevin Lankin in an opportunity to play in front of the United Center fans on Monday night. But uh, are, are you? Do you think you're overreacting to what you saw from Colin Delia? Do you think we're uh, we're overreacting to what we saw from from Kevin Lankin in the first half of the year? Where, where do you stand on the future of the crease here in Chicago? Well, I, I'd like to think it's a good problem to have if Delia has emerged. I mean. You know, you can say it's an overreaction in a short sample size, small sample size, but the guy had been out for three and a half months. And to, to come in in the middle of the game and, and stop all 19 shots and then look at the high danger chances he had Thursday night in the first period alone, 11, I mean, you know, terrific stuff, right? And so you like to have competition at that spot. And I, I, I like the way you're thinking. I think he's going to start tomorrow. And I think Lincoln certainly has earned the final start in front of whatever crowd you're going to get, the United Center in the final game, because he has been, you know, he's been a, a nice revelation this year when you didn't even know he was in, in the mix, really, and he, he ended up being the stalwart between the pipes. So what do you think of the rebuild? Is it ahead of schedule, on schedule, or behind schedule? Who do you think will be in net starting for the Blackhawks uh, next season? And your overall thoughts on, on this campaign that the Blackhawks are going to wrap up on Monday. Give us a call 312-332-3776. Those of you watching on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN1000 Chicago. 
Uh, Brian, the uh, the other thing I was going to do is kind of run down some uh, season awards the way I, I saw it. I would say my, my rookie of the year. So if it's the – if the youth movement was the story, who do you pick as the rookie? And to me, it comes down to two. It's either Lankanen or Brandon Hagel. I'm going with Brandon Hagel. Wow. W- wasn't in the lineup to start the season. Got in there about four or five games in and just started on the fourth line. He played on every line. He brought the energy, the work ethic, uh, the, the two-way play, winning battles, uh, just having momentum-changing shifts. Finally got it going on the scoring sheet as well. It took, uh, it took a little while. It took like eight to ten games before he got things going. But uh, he had himself a fantastic season. Um, I think he is the type of player that ultimately, you know, he had uh, eight goals, 14 assists. He's, I think, on a playoff team, he's a fourth-line player. On this team where everybody tended to play up a line or two, um, you know, he... Top six? Yeah, I, you know, I, I I think he's top six when you need it, when, when somebody's not right. going on a given night, when you need, uh, you know, some sort of uh, momentum change and you don't like the way things are looking, uh, then I think you insert him into a top six role. But ideally... He's a third or fourth line player in my eyes. So to, to me, he's your rookie of the year. The surprise of the year was Kevin Lankinen. The comeback or the bounce back year has to be Alex Dabrinkit. Did you ever think you would see Alex Dabrinkit approaching 30 goals in, he's only going to play 51 games this year? Yeah. How about that? And, I, you know, you've got something really special going here with Patrick Kane and Dabrinkit. So that's terrific to see. You know, the only thing Hagel failed at was uh, the Blackhawks mic'd him up for one game, and he doesn't talk much. So if you're going to mic a guy <laughs> up, you'd like to have a little chatter on the ice. So that was the only moment he didn't meet. Um, but I'm going with Lincoln in, or I know he's not. I mean, he, he, he's a rookie by, defini- by definition. I see what you're saying, surprise of the year, because he's an older first-year player. But for the big part of the season when they were firmly in the playoff conversation, it was – a three-part formula. It was special. It was power play, penalty kill, and Kevin Lincoln in. That's true. So I'll, I'll vote with uh, Lincoln in for the bulk of his work on the most, you know, in the most important position on the ice. But you can't. I can't fault your any of your argument for Hagel. He's been he's been a revelation. Uh, for the MVP, I, I know the goals aren't where you want them to be, but you know, Pat, Patrick Kane is is absolutely my MVP. Ends up right now with sixty four points. Uh, he is. Got 49 assists. He's got an all-time high as far as primary assists. So a lot of what Alex Debrinkit has benefited from is from just the fantastic setups mm-hmm. that uh, Patrick has provided game in and game out. Uh, he's still seventh in the league in scoring, Patrick Kane is, even with just the, the 15 goals. So his shooting, shooting percentage was down this year. It's somewhere around 8%. That's not normally what we see I think a lot of that has to do with how teams defend against him I mean look if if you're game planning for the Chicago Blackhawks you're looking to stop 88 and say anybody else beat me and I I think from the second half of this season on a lot of times if you watch the penalty kill if you just watch everything shaded towards the side of the ice that 88 was on no doubt about it and I would also 
I would also say that Jeremy Colleton showed me something this year. I, I really think it was legit that, you know, Steve Greenberg, uh, my buddy at the Sun-Times, wrote a column before the season, on the eve of the season, basically saying, you know, he doesn't know who, who Jeremy Colleton is, doesn't know, you know, what kind of coach he's going to be. And, you know, Stan Bowman, undetoured, went and gave, gave uh, Colleton an extension. And here's a coach who had a multitask through the season. I probably surprised him they were in contention for as much as they were. So trying to multitask, you know, trying to integrate all these young players making their NHL deb- debuts and also keep a team, you know, uh, on the postseason track. So I think we found out something about Jeremy Colleton. Don't know, you know, if he, he's a guy who's going to get you across the Stanley Cup finish line. But I think I'm much more confident and comfortable with him behind the bench than now than I was at the beginning of the season. We'll break down the last season here that the Blackhawks are just about ready to finish up on Monday with two guys that know this team very well. Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, Charlie Romeliotis of NBC Sports Chicago. And we'll look ahead towards the offseason. Off what are some of the plans that Stan Bowman is going to have on his plate? And what direction do you think this team will go? We'll ask those guys those questions and a whole lot more. It's all coming up. On the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. You're listening to The Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. Call us or tweet your comments to at ESPN 1000. The Hockey Show. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill with Brian Hanley. I am Pat Boyle. We are uh, breaking down the Blackhawks season that will conclude on Monday night. Next two games at the United Center. They'll get to uh, play in front of fans for the first time since uh, last March. And uh, two guys that have been covering this team all season long and for several years now join us. To talk about it on the hockey show, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic and Charlie Romeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago. Hey, boys, thanks for joining us this morning. I, I'm just going to start with you, Mark. Like, how do you how do you characterize this season for the Blackhawks? Well, I think it was a positive. I mean, I, I know that people are down on them because they lost a bunch of games down the stretch here. They fell out of the race. But the fact that they were in the race at all for, for much of the season – uh, it, it is a positive. I, and you got, what, eight, nine guys made their NHL debuts. You found out what you had in a lot of these young players, and that was the entire point of this season. It was never about making the playoffs. It was never about anything like that. It was just finding out what you have. You know now that Brandon Hagel is an NHL player. You know now that you know uh, Wyatt Kalanick is an NHL player. You know that Philip Kurashev is going to be a, a pretty good NHL player, even though he's only 20, 21 years old. That was the point. To kind of weed out the guys that just have no chance in the NHL. And frankly, almost every one they played showed they have at least the potential to be NHL players or that they already are NHL players. And that was the point of this, right? I mean, that's what you wanted to see. And you got a little more excitement out of it than you thought. Charlie, how do you sum it up? Yeah, I agree. I think overall, if you look at the standings, the Blackhawks probably finished where they were supposed to finish going into the season. But the individual success, all the all the names that, that Laz just listed with Pew Suter and, and Philip Kurashev and Wyatt Kalanuk and even Kevin Lankin, when you look at in goal, we thought it was going to be Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban vying for the starting job moving forward. And then here comes Kevin Lankinen, who emerges as a potential starter going forward. So I think if you look at the team success, the, 
you, you kind of look at the analytics and the numbers, and it's probably not exactly where the Blackhawks want to be. But individually, I think the Blackhawks have a lot to be encouraged about moving forward. So, guys, when you look at the disparity from the top teams in the division, and we know the divisions will change, but their, their records against Nashville and Carolina and Tampa and Florida and the, the minus 26 goal differential, if it's ahead of schedule, the rebuild, um, how encouraged should Hawks fans be that they're going to get to that level sooner than later? Is it a couple of years? Is it too soon to tell? You know, Where do you stand on that, uh, Charlie? Yeah, I think it's certainly going to be interesting to see what this team is going to be with a healthy Kirby Dock and Jonathan Taves back into the fold. And then some of these rookies obviously coming in with a year of experience. I think the encouraging part about this season is that they, they really manhandled the, the Detroits and the Columbuses, right? So, so they're not kind of in that territory. Where they struggled this year was with the Carolinas, with the Tampa Bays, with the Floridas, that upper echelon team. So they're kind of in the middle of that pack. And I think if you're evaluating this season and you're like, okay, if they get Jonathan Tays back, if Kirby Doc looks like the guy he was in the bubble and some of these young guys take the next step forward, like maybe they could be knocking on that door of the lower echelon teams, like maybe in the eighth spot of those playoffs next season. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's something that – fans can at least get excited about going into next season about how this team is going to look with Jonathan Taze and Kirby Doc back into the fold. Yeah, I think that's that's a really big question is how far are they from contention, right? Because the last three years before this year were kind of wasted years. They weren't really rebuilding. They were just kind of treading water, signing veterans, trying to stay alive. So it feels like you're in year four of this rebuild, but really this was the first year where they really committed to going young. Um, and, and you look at the team and, well, man, Colorado's coming back to this division next year. And, uh, you know, Winnipeg's coming back. And, and the, the Wilds look great. And they look like they're set up for success for the long term. And you wonder how they can compete with that. And that's the big question because they've got a lot of pretty good players, it looks like. I don't know if they have a top-pairing defenseman in that bunch. They've got a lot of pretty good second-pairing defensemen and third-pairing defensemen. I don't know if they have a whole lot of top six guys in that bunch beyond you know the usual suspects with Kane and Debrinkit and, and, and Doc and all them. So I don't know if they have enough to become contenders with what they have right now, but they've got enough pieces to build around, and they've got a lot of cap space. So it's how how urgent does Stan Bowman feel in terms of, of, of progressing this? Do they want to go and make a big splash this offseason? Do they want to try and sign like a Dougie Hamilton or something if they can make it work with the, uh, the long-term injured money they have? I don't see a quick path to contention, like Stanley Cup contention, but they, like, like Charlie said, they could become a playoff team pretty quickly here. It's just that's kind of what they were the last few years, just when they have a playoff team. Is that good enough, or do you want to look at the bigger picture and take a, a longer route back? Mark Lazarus, Charlie Romeliotis join us on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Charlie, who do you think is going to be the starting goalie for the Blackhawks when we open up next season? Obviously, Lankanen got off to the great start this year, uh, struggled as the team did uh, midway point, and has found himself here in the last few weeks. But, uh, you know, Delia looked fantastic this week. At, at, at times, Subban was really, really solid. How do you think it'll play out, and who do you think will eventually be the starter next year? Yeah, I think they would definitely want to give Kevin Lincoln a longer look, especially given what he did this season. The interesting part of this question, though, is the fact that all three of these goaltenders, Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban, um, they, have, they have to require waivers to be sent to Rockford. So depending on what the schedule looks like next season or or I should say what the roster looks like, there's not going to be, there's probably not going to be a taxi squad. So, like, you can't just stash a, a Colin Delia on the taxi squad while you let Lankanen and Subban du- duke it out. Like, 
you, you kind of have to have a plan with these guys. And, and I don't know if, you know, a Colin Delia or, or Malcolm Subban emerges as that backup. I don't know if you necessarily would want to send one of those guys in Rockford to stunt the developments of, of the younger players in Rockford. So I think they definitely want to give Kevin Lincoln a, a longer look. And I just wonder if they w- would want to bring a veteran in to, to kind of groom him as a potential long-term starter. But then you have these two other guys in Delia and Subban who are still under contract and there's nowhere to put them. So I think that's certainly going to be a storyline that we're going to have to monitor here going into the offseason. So Delia is not in the conversation. I know it's only a week, but he'd been out for three and a half months. Can he play himself into the conversation to, to battle for that starting spot next year, Mark? Yeah, I think I think it's wide open still. I mean, I think Lankinen has the edge because he did it for a, a pretty significant stretch this year. And I think the reason that his numbers dropped off were, you know, some of it was regression to the mean. He wasn't going to be a 935 goalie. But he was playing a ridiculous amount of hockey when they were in that playoff push. Uh, and he's coming from a schedule in Rockford that's just not that taxing. And then before that in, in Europe. Uh, so you have to give him a little bit of leeway there. The Delia stuff is really interesting because Delia was the number one guy coming in in a lot of our minds. And he just didn't get a chance. He's had two really good games. What does that mean? I don't know. It's two games. But he's going to have, I think, in training camp, it'll be a pretty open competition. You know, I was, I was talking to a scout, and, and, and they basically said, look, they don't have a number one goalie still. Lankinen's one of those one Bs right now where it's like you feel comfortable with him stepping into that role if your number one is hurt, but you don't want him to be your number one. He could still become that guy. But these aren't super young guys. They're all 26, 27 years old. So did the Blackhawks go out and bring in a goalie? This isn't like last summer where there was a million number one goalies available on the market. Do they try and find like a Cam Ward type from a couple of years ago to stabilize the goalie position? Or do they say, you know what, no, we've got to figure out which of these guys is a true number one and, and try to do a three-man rotation. The Islanders a few years ago did three men, uh, three goalies all year long. It was a freaking nightmare for the goalies, as uh, uh, J.F. Barube would tell us. But it, it, it existed, and it's possible to do that if you don't want to put any of them on waivers. You bring in a veteran, and then all of a sudden you got two guys that got to clear waivers, and they're not going to clear waivers because goalies are too valuable. So it's, it's a tough position if you're in the Blackhawks right now because you like what you have, but you're still not sure if it's enough. Dylan Strome was inconsistent this year. He played both wing and center. He prefers playing center. Uh, he's been a healthy scratch now a few times over the last eight or nine games. Mark, what, what do you make of, of Strome and his future with the Hawks? You know, I always seem to be higher on Strome than, than the Blackhawks do. Uh, I look at him and I see a very skilled player who, who, work, who plays really well and produces points when he's with other skilled players. And that's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to be Patrick Kane's center, to, to play with a guy like that. And Strome's always done it really well. The problem is, where do you fit him? It's like an Artem Anisimov a couple of years ago where he was really great when he was Patrick Kane's center and then he had nowhere in the lineup to be after that. So Strong clearly has never really had Jeremy Colleton's trust. I don't think that's a big secret, that he's just not, you know, a guy who, who Colleton feels comfortable putting up in a major role frequently. So if you've got Kirby Doc and you've got Jonathan Taves, that means that Strom has to be a third-line center at best, but you've also got Kurishev and Camp and you know, a whole bunch of other centers on the roster right now. Strom doesn't like playing wing. He's not as effective playing the wing. So where does he fit? He's signed for next year. I expect him to be back next year, but his role, he's going to have to produce a just ton of points in order to stay in the lineup where he wants to be because Jeremy Colleton likes other guys better, and that's just what happens sometimes. Charlie, when you look at the blue line, um, is it good enough? I mean, obviously they could use size. They've got some young guys you could probably count on. I'm still not sure about Adam Volkfist and and what you have moving forward there. Um, What do you think? Yeah, I think the the blue line really got magnified this season when 
some of those guys went down with an injury and most, sometimes it was even during the games where Duncan Keith most recently and Calvin DeHaan got eliminated uh, or, or exited a few games with those hip injuries and then Adam Boquist. And, and then you're like, oh, there's Wyatt Kalanick on the first power play unit and, and taking penalty kill. Like th- those young guys were getting to like significant roles. And so I think when you look at the individual pieces, right, Wyatt Kalanick certainly took a step. The Blackhawks feel Adam Boquist took a step forward, but they still feel like he can take an even bigger step. You look at guys like Nicholas Bodan, who was kind of an afterthought, and we kind of forgot about him as one of these young pieces, and, and he looked really steady when he was with his team. But the problem is there, there's these veterans on the blue line, and then there's these really young guys on the blue line. There's, there's really no in-between, and so they're trying to bridge that gap. And I, I remember Jeremy Colleton talking afterwards, I think it was after a Nashville game, where you look at Nashville, the experience that they have on the, on the blue line in Dallas, and like the, the Blackhawks held their own on, on defense. Um, this season like the young guys held their own on defense but it's just not enough in this central division when you're going up against Miro Heiskanen and John Klingberg and um, Ryan Ellis and Matias Ekholm like those guys are elite players in the central division so the Blackhawks are just kind of trying to be patient but they also want to speed up their progression so that they can bridge that gap between the veterans and the young players. On that topic of defense, uh, Mark, your your partner at uh, The Athletic, Scott Powers, wrote a piece this week on the Blackhawks' defensive zone system, and, you know, is it an issue? They play a man-on-man-and-a-half, so do not get too geeky, NHL hockey (laughs) geeky for the the folks this morning. Uh, I mean, basically, the defensemen will match up with a forward and follow them, for lack of a better word, either into the corner, around, near the circle, usually staying on their strong side, but uh, they'll get help, obviously, from forwards as well. But it's it's a man-on-man type system versus a, you know, a traditional zone type system that Quenville played. Three years of this, we've had a lot of different players in the lineup uh, try to um, execute this. Where, where do you stand on this approach, and and why have they had uh, so many growing pains with it over the last couple of years, Mark? Well, well, yeah. I mean, we're seeing too many times where there's two defensemen in the same corner in their own end. We're seeing guys chasing guys behind the net and leaving the post exposed for wraparounds because the other guy isn't paying attention or there's not enough communication going on. I think most of it does come down to execution. Any system works if you have the right players to execute it. And, you know, I was talking to some league sources this year, and, and I'm asking about this because, you know, Scott and I were talking about it a lot. And it, it basically all said the same thing. Look, like three-quarters of the teams in this league play some variation of man-to-man. Like, Quenville's zone is, is, is kind of passe in the league right now. Right. The problem is the Hawks have had 750 defensemen in the lineup this year. There's no consistency mm-hmm. with the pairings. You've got so many guys coming in and out. They're, they're 20 years old. They're 21 years old. Uh, they're playing with veterans that they don't have any kind of rapport with or any kind of uh, you know, uh, shared history with, institutional knowledge with, and, and the execution has been poor. Now, there's, it's a fair question that, you know, is Colleton trying to fit the system to the players or is he trying to fit the players to the system? That's all, it's all a fair question of whether this is the right system for these guys. But when it comes down to it, you know, execution trumps uh, system. The New York Islanders play a similar system to what the Blackhawks are trying to do. The Nashville Predators do, too. But they have so much more structure and so much more communication, and they're a little more conservative with it, and it works like gangbusters. So it, it probably needs some tweaking. I don't think Jeremy Collins going to say, oh, well, you know what, screw the last three years. We're going to his own now. So this is what the system's going to be. The key is to get these players to to – 
to be able to, to run it better and to learn each other. And you need some consistency in the pairings. When you're changing the pairings every game, it doesn't matter what you're playing. You're going to have miscommunications. You're going to have breakdowns. And that's what we see time after time. Charlie, do they have the skaters on the back end that can, uh, can implement this system? And do you think, like Mark is saying, if we see a little more consistency? Again, p- part of this year was bringing in the Calnucks and, mm-hmm. uh, and and all you know Stillman and and seeing how all these Ian Mitchell how they all handle things Bodan and Boquist, but maybe next year we'll see a little bit more consistency in the lineup. And do you think we'll see better results when it comes to the D zone system? Yeah. Uh, well, another interesting part about this too is you, because you're incorporating all these young guys. Some of these guys are coming from college and juniors and. They weren't used to running this system. Like like Mike Hardman, I remember his first game. Like he, he looked solid in his first game, but that's not a system that he was accustomed to running. So when those guys get integrated into the lineup, specifically on the back end, it, it requires a lot of communication, and it requires a lot of thinking at, at the beginning. And so it's kind of like you have to develop these new habits that you're not used to. And so I think what Mark was saying, too, about the inconsistency, it, it also is just going to take time because you're playing with these these new guys who are being integrated. They're trying to figure out the NHL level, but they're also trying to run this new system. So I think over time we're going to see, obviously, we're going to see it improve. Uh, at least I, I think Chicago hopes so. And, and I, I don't think they have the personnel to run it right now, but I think they're hoping that in the long run, once these young guys come along, it's all going to start to click. So it becomes a light bulb moment. I mean, it's just growing pains. These guys will become instinctual after a while, or are you expecting, you know, hockey high IQ from young guys that you have to start with that for them to adapt to it? Charlie, I mean, yeah, go I, ahead. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think, I think eventually, like, I think this is what this season is about, right? That, that Jeremy Colleton encourages these teams to, to or the, the players to make mistakes, right? Make mistakes so that, they do get acclimated to the system and they're making, they're ironing the kinks out now. That way when they're, they try to become perennial playoff contenders again, um, they're, they're, it's second nature to them. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out though moving forward. Coming up, we'll uh, ask Mark and Charlie about uh, some of the free agents that Stan Bowman will consider bringing back next year and the expansion draft. Who could the Blackhawks lose to Seattle? That's coming up next. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000 presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. The Hockey Show presented by Coors Light. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Listen on the new ESPN Chicago app from anywhere. The Hockey Show. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Now Strong's pass for Boquist. His one-timer missed. Held in. Now here's a one-timer. They score to bring in a bullet. Great setup by Calvin DeHaan, who just came in a change. He laid it on a mattress for to bring it, who pounds it to the back of the net. Pat Foley, the call on NBC Sports Chicago. Alex Dabrinkit with an absolute fantastic season. He'll try to get to 30 goals tomorrow night on NBC Sports Chicago in just his 51st game. Welcome back to the Hockey Show on ESP 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. Brian Hanley, Pat Boyle with you. And we are joined by Mark Lazarus and Charlie Romeliotis. 
Uh, we heard from uh, Alex DeBrinket uh, coming in from that commercial break, Charlie. I want to ask you about the first-year players that look like they're building blocks for a, a cup contender. Who in the the long list of, of young players we saw this year stood out to you as pieces that could be a part of this equation when they're making a legitimate run at the Stanley Cup? Yeah, well, I think the two guys that, that stand out to me that had, you know, the, the, the two top rookies were, were Kevin Lankton and, and Brandon Hagel. And I think Hagel specifically up front um, was probably one of the most consistent forwards, not just the rookies, but all season long for the Blackhawks. And, and on, a, on a contending team, um, I'm sure he's, he'd be better suited in a bottom six role, but he's a guy that's obviously jumped up and down the lineup. He's played anywhere from the first line to the fourth line this season. And the one thing that, that stands out to me about Hagel is that he's not just some fourth line guy that, that's running around and kind of capitalizing on some, uh, on some assists or some secondary assists. Like he, he's a possession driver. Like he can drive a line no matter where he is. And, and we saw earlier in the season why he was so effective with Dominic Kubelik because he was the guy that was going to the dirty areas and setting him up with, with the puck. And so I think that's a guy that um, probably wasn't quite on our radar uh, going into this season, that that certainly is a potential building block uh, for this Blackhawks team moving forward. Mark, do you think Kalnuck is a is a building block on the on the back end? You know, I think he is. Of, of all the young guys, he's been the most impressive. I don't think a lot of us necessarily expected that. Now, granted, he's 24, so he's you know we always talk about how defensemen take a little bit longer to develop. And Kalnuck came out of college at 24 years old. That's four years older than Adam Boquist. So I mean, you have to kind of grade it on a curve a little bit. But right now, uh, Kalanick's got the skating ability to play the system. He's been he's able to carry the puck through the neutral zone, push the pace a little bit, jump in on the offense. We've seen him, you know, right on the doorstep a couple of times for a couple of goals. Uh, he's the guy that that I think, you know, right now is the best of the young guys. I mean, Boquist probably has a higher ceiling still, uh, and, and I'm not as down on Boquist as some people are. I think he had a pretty good year this year, especially once he came back from COVID. You know, his defensive game improved a lot. It's just a matter of unlocking him offensively. He needs to be able to produce in order to become the player he can be. Um, and, and the thing is, I mean, God, remember when Bocas was drafted, he said he was two or three years away right. from being ready for the NHL. Well, that's next year. So he spent two years basically in the NHL that he probably shouldn't have been, but was kind of uh, out, of, out of necessity, was, was forced into. He'd be better off if he were in Rockford these last couple of years, but there's still a lot to like about his game. He'd be so better. There's, there's, there's talent there. It's just a question of whether they have any top-pairing guys. You bring up Boquist, and, and Jeremy Colleton talked about it a couple of times this past week, his conditioning. And, you know, to me, there's no experience excuse to not be in shape when you're 20 years of age and you're out there with a 37 year old like Duncan Keith and (laughs) and you're sucking wind and and he's not uh and and I think Charlie that's something that that Adam has to look himself in the mirror and it's going to be tough because he's he's dealing with the wrist injury now I don't know how much he's going to be able to you know do cardio and whatnot uh during the uh the initial stages of of his his recovery but it's something he needs to address because it's something that Jeremy Carlton pointed out a few times in the last few weeks. Yeah, and I don't think Jeremy was saying that that Adam Boquist was out of shape of any sort. I, they just want him playing Duncan Keith minutes. Like, they want him playing 20-plus minutes a night. And the, the one quote that, that stood out to me when, when Jeremy was talking about that specifically is, we want him to take a 35-, 40-second shift 
And then if a power play comes up right after that, we want him to stay on the ice for it, right? Like, we've, we've seen Duncan Keith do it so many times. And so, again, like, I don't think they were saying, like, Adam Boak was, was out of shape or he had poor condition. They just want him to be a top player, and they want him to play 20, 21, 22-plus minutes a night. And so they want to get him to that level. And I think that's why this offseason is so crucial for him. And, Mark, you mentioned Bodan earlier. and Whether you saw guys uh, at – playing with the Hawks this year, even before February with uh, Lake Bodan, or guys who you expect to see next year from Europe, uh, who are some of those top two or three guys you think can step in and, and you know be part of this right from the, the get-go? Well, I don't know about from the get-go, but you know Bodan has a lot of potential. I think he could be like a, like a, a really solid third-pairing guy, but like a power play specialist. That's what he's always been best at when they drafted him. That was the, 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 the report on him was that he was a great power play quarterback. We saw a little bit of that. Alec Regula is huge. They like him a lot. You know, he can bring some sights. They have so many five foot ten, hundred and sixty-five pound defense, and you you can't have six of them on the ice. You need to have some bodies in there. Um, and if Zadorov is or isn't part of the future, you know, Stillman brings some of that. The Regula can bring that. Alex Vlasic is on the doorstep. We might be seeing him in a year or two. Uh, he's a six foot six body. I mean, there's there's a lot of options. And again, that's that's the thing. The Blackhawks aren't hurting for options. They've got. 10, 11, 12 guys that can play defense. They've gotten 18, 19 forwards that could potentially play when you throw in guys like Hardman and Entwistle, guys that have proven they can hang. Uh, the question is they have to they have to narrow it down at some point. They have to pick the guys that are going to be the guys, and then you have to you know uh, supplement them with, with some free agent signings if you're really going to take that next level. So at some point, you're going to have to move beyond this evaluation phase and, and, and settle on the guys that you want to be your, 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 your team going forward. In July, we're going to have the expansion draft for Seattle, so teams can protect a combination of players, seven forwards, 3D, and a goalie, or they can protect eight skaters and a goalie. Uh, players that have no movement clauses like Kane, Taves, and Keith, they're automatically put on the protected list. Uh, I'll start with you, Mark. Who do you think are potential players that the Hawks may lose uh, in the expansion draft? You know, I think they're going to lose someone pretty good. I think that's just that's just someone they don't want to lose necessarily. You know, if they go seven three one, you know, they have to protect you know, Keith and Murphy. And then are they going to protect Zadorov? Are they going to protect Dahan? One of those guys could be taken. If they go four and four, they're going to leave a lot of forwards exposed. Dylan Strom will be exposed. Uh, Adam Gaudet will be exposed. I mean, Adam Gaudet looks pretty good right now, and he's got a, a high ceiling. Maybe he's a guy that gets that, that gets plucked uh, by Seattle, or maybe they want a role player. I mean, not every they don't want to just get all skill guys. Maybe they need a Ryan Carpenter, and they take one of your cheap bottom six guys off your hands, and that you know affects things. Right now, Dahan seems like the likeliest, just because he's a good, solid veteran guy. He's a great locker room presence uh you, you can never have enough good steady defensemen but it really the, the hawks have a tough decision to make on how they're going to approach this draft and again i think a lot of it comes down to whether they view nikita zadorov as a long-term piece or not yeah so on on zadorov where do you think they stand charlie do you, i mean the stillman signing was a little puzzling in the in the sense of what he brings to the equation is something similar that zadorov brings to, to the back end yeah, that's exactly right. That, that Riley Stillman extension really kind of, I think that was the first question that everyone raised was, well, what does this mean for, for Zadorov? And I do think Zadorov, they, they really liked him at the beginning of the season, and then his player kind of tailed off. The, the problem with him is that he's probably going to be asking for or maybe even potentially get around the $4 million range, and it'll probably be on a three- or four-year deal. Do you do that if you're the Blackhawks? Like, I, I, think, I, I think they would like him 
in a third pairing role, but not making that much money. Like Riley Stillman is a guy that making 1.35 million over the next three years after this year. That, that's someone that they could live with on the third pairing where he's providing that physicality and he can be a guy that's rotating in and out of the lineup. So the, the fact that Zadorov has been a healthy scratch multiple times this season, I don't know how you give a guy like that $4 million moving forward if he's not a, an inter, integral part of, of your future. In a flat cap world, no less. That's the real question is, I mean, these yep. guys want raises. And I think that the, the salary, this, this offseason is going to be fascinating league-wide because you got a flat cap, but you still have agents and players who are expecting the kind of raises they're used to expecting. Are they going to say, you know what, no, it's all right, we'll take less, we understand. I don't, there's going to be a lot of stalemates between teams and players this year. Yeah, we talked about Jeremy Carlton's defensive system. What about Jeremy Carlton and his staff? It's, it, is it tough to evaluate the job they did this year when all of a sudden they were in the playoff conversation, Charlie? Yeah, it is tough because you, you can look at the, the first month plus of the season and you can point to the unsustainable power play success. You can look at the hot goaltending or um, you know Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit were really driving the team. But I, I do think you have to give them – um, some credit for the, for the way that they've handled the development of these younger players on an individual basis. Now, if you look at some of the analytics and you'll see, oh, okay, the Blackhawks are towards the bottom, again, in scoring chances allowed and high danger chances allowed. But if you look at what they've done on an individual basis and giving these young guys an opportunity and, and putting them in roles, quite frankly, too, whether it's on the power play or on the penalty kill, um, you know, I, I think they do deserve some credit in that regard for how they handled the individual development of these players. Charlie Romeliotis, Mark Lazarus, you guys have done a fantastic job all season long. It's going to be good to have some fans at the United Center to uh, keep an eye on what you guys are consuming in the uh, in the press box the next couple of nights. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to all your work in the offseason because, uh, as you said, Mark, it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, watch to see exactly what transpires for the Blackhawks. Right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks guys. for your knowledge, Thanks. guys. Appreciate it. Mark Lazarus of The Athletic and Charlie Romeliotis of NBC Sports, Chicago.com. Coming up with one-timers as we wrap up The Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. You're listening to The Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. When you're at home, don't miss Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Tell your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. Here comes... Kurashev with a restart. He scores! Philip Kurashev's first NHL goal. Snapped it by the glove of Bobrovsky. Long shot by DeHaan. Save, rebound, score! First NHL goal. You suitor. Breaking in. Oh, Camp couldn't get him the puck. Now he does it. He scores! David Camp held it forever. Ian Mitchell activating, going to the net. And the first NHL goal for 51 red. Here's a loose puck. Bonet, he scores! There's the first one for Nicholas Bonet! Rookie defenseman have scored. Uh, centering pass and Kane. After being set up by Soderberg, then they score. Brandon Hagel's first NHL goal has put his team in front. Kalanuk's long one and Merzlikens and they score. Could this be Wyatt Kalanuk's first goal of his National Hockey League career? Looks as if that may be the case. And here's a stop time to say rebound. They score. The first NHL point for Ed Whistle. The first goal for Mike Hartman. And the first assist for Ed Whistle. A year of firsts for a bunch of Blackhawks this past season. Kurashev, Suter, Hagel, Kalnuck, Mitchell, Mike Hardman, Bodan, and the latest was Riley Stillman. 
eighth player to score their first goal this season for the Blackhawks. Seemingly every night, uh, Brian, it, there was a there was a different uh, Blackhawk that was uh, entering the National Hockey League as far as a goal scorer. I can see the billboards now, Pat. The kids can play. Uh, <laughs> has it been done before? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, look, there's a lot to be encouraged by, uh, and that's why you know we ask uh, our Twitter poll question. Do you believe the rebuild's ahead of schedule, on schedule, or behind schedule? And uh, you just heard from two of the experts that, you know, I think they're in agreement with us. It's it's ahead of schedule. However you want to quantify that, it is the first year of the rebuild. As Mark Lazarus pointed out, they were just kind of on a treadmill the last few years. They were trying to be a competing team with uh, mostly a static core. And this year they, they told you they were transparent. They're going to blow the whole thing up and start from scratch. And gave us a very interesting season with two games to remain. You went to uh, ESPN Hockey Show on Twitter to vote, and the votes are in. Right now, 43% say the rebuild is on schedule. 42% say behind, and 15 say ahead of schedule. The other question was, who will be the Blackhawks' number one goalie next season? Right now, Kevin Lankinen is running away with it with 85% of the vote. Time now for one-timers. one-timer. One timers. One timer by Albertson. It's gone. On the hockey show. One time shot. On ESPN 1000. Well, there was only one story that dominated the NHL headlines this week, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, Brian, for your one timer because I assume it's my it's mine as well. Yeah, you know, every time you think the NHL is is finally getting its footing and and. They, they shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, they just dialed back the way, back the way back machine to the 1970s. Why Tom Wilson is allowed to do what he does, and he got a suspension in March, well warranted, but this whole fiasco, so, you know, there, there's a, a, a pileup, a fight. Uh, earlier in the week, he's got Panarin with his helmet off, and he's on the ice, and here comes Tom Wilson. He's, you know, going to give him the business while a defenseless Panarin's down there. Panarin ends up uh, with a lower body in injury and out for the rest of the season of the last three games, one of your star players in the league. And the Rangers come out and say that George Paros, the head of the uh, Department of Player Safety, boy, what a misnomer, um, <laughs> is unfit to remain in the job, and they get fined 250000 Tom Wilson, by the way, no suspension, got two roughings and a 10-minute misconduct and a $5,000 fine. He had reportedly sat with Paros to go through video of what he can and can't do, so... I don't know if those little education sessions, they became best of friends. By the way, Paros, former enforcer in the league who started a clothing line called Violent Gentleman. So do you really want this guy is the head of your department? It's a bad look. It It it, is. The optics are terrible. Look, it started with Wilson punching Buchnevich, and and Buchnevich is face first on the ice, and he's punching him in in the back of the head. And then he takes Panarin's helmet off and ragdolls him to the ground, and, you know, at one point, he's going head first towards the ice. That could have been an absolute disaster for Panarin. His season comes to an end with a lower body injury, but it could have been an upper body injury, a significant one. And again, only a $5,000 fine, no suspension for Tom Wilson, a repeat offender. 
It's unacceptable. It's a bad look. The following game is a complete gong show where it's fight after fight after fight. And the fight. start of the next game, he got six six fights. Exactly. And, and, I mean, the NHL doesn't want to get that. They want to move away from the yes. you know, 1977 goon yep. hockey. They had an opportunity this week, and they failed. So, uh, I, I had a hard time seeing it. I felt bad for Panarin, and I think it just it, basically the NHL said, "Tom Wilson, keep doing what you're doing." I mean, Tom Wilson is a really good hockey player. Hey, you'd he, love him on the Hawks. I mean, you'd, well, yeah, I, yeah, you would, but you you, you don't like the, the fact that he no. crosses the line too much. But he's allowed to do. They enable him. And look, I when you know Brendan Shanahan was in that office, Department of Player Safety, I lauded the NHL because of the transparency. When he would go through step-by-step videos of what controversial plays or whatever and just, like, clinically give you the reasoning behind the decision, I mean, you, you wish all leagues would do that, right? So it, the department's had some real fine moments, but right now it's just embarrassment. Great stuff as always, Brian. I'll be listening to you and Xander coming up next. We'll have the final hockey show next Saturday at 9 a.m. right here on ESPN 1000.